So I'm going to start today's talk with a question, and the question is this. So when I say the word leader, when you hear the word leader, what images come to mind? So for most of us, we picture someone who stands out from the rest, who's taller than the rest of the crowd, or who stands in the front, who has the loudest voice, who wears special clothes, walks ahead of everyone else. Perhaps a conductor holding a baton. Perhaps a judge holding a gavel, or a CEO at the head of the table at a meeting, or a coach instructing his or her athletes. But I learned something very interesting. In the spiritual world, leadership has different qualities. The spiritual leaders that I have met and who have inspired me did not always stand in the front, did not always walk ahead of everyone else, or sit at the head of the table. These were mentors who were able to maintain the beginner's mind. And they never seemed to be at the top because number one, they were constantly training. They were constantly training, trying to work with their mind. And they saw that the mundane was spiritual, the spiritual was the mundane. So in that sense, work and practice were not mutually exclusive. And number two, what I noticed about them is they always had a teacher. They always had their mentor. And so what struck me was they were a teacher, but always a student. So I think one of the reasons why uh, I have such love and faith in One Buddhism is that I learned about One Buddhism through stories. Stories from my father, who was a very devout One Buddhist. But he would tell me stories about his teachers. And I didn't understand everything he said because he would say this in Korean. But what I did understand was that they inspired him because they weren't just about talking. They put what they knew into action. So if you were to ask me, well, what's one of the strengths of this tradition? I would say confidently that we are a community of active Buddhas. We're not just living or breathing Buddhas. We are active Buddhas. And I see this here at the One Dharma Center. I, I love coming here. I love meeting the One Dharma Center family. And is Douglas here? I'm not sure if Douglas is here. If he's here, Douglas is, is somewhere. Probably actively doing his Buddha stuff over at the garden. But when I see Douglas, he's inspiring and he's an example of what I mean by this active Buddha. So uh, our students are here, we're here for a week and every morning we work with Douglas in the garden. And when I watch him, I watch him carefully, he's just so happy doing what he does. And because he's so happy, this is contagious. So when I look at the students, I've never seen students so happy picking bugs off the leaves, <laughs> pulling the garlic, pulling the weeds around the onions. And so it's, I see this in many of our, our teachers as well. It's like, from the outside, it looks like they're making a huge sacrifice, but they do it with such joy. And so in some ways, to them, it's not a sacrifice. So one time I, I attended a summer retreat, and I met with a one Buddhist member. And I asked her, I asked her, so what is it about one Buddhism that appeals to you? And then she told me, she said, it's the people. 
And she started to tell me a story about the first one Buddhist Kyomunim that she met. And she said, I will never forget her. And I said, why? And she goes, and she said, because she lived differently. She lived so differently. And I said, how so? And then she began to share her story. So she lived in the neighborhood and there was a one Buddhist temple and she would walk by the temple several times. And she'd sometimes see this very old, short grandmother working in the garden and she'd be hunched over, the grandmother would be hunched over, and working with her hands, clothes a little bit dirty, hands covered in soil. And, she, and the woman just would think to herself, oh, it's just the grandmother who lives there, or a temple member helping out in the garden. Well, one day this woman thought to herself, I think I should attend one of their services. So on a Sunday morning, she went uh, a little bit early, sat down with the other temple members, and waited for the Kyomunim to come in. And to her surprise, this very short, older young woman walked in with her t hair tied back neatly, wearing these white pristine robe and walking in right to the front to the lectern. And it was the same woman working in the garden. And then she stood at the lectern and this woman just gave this powerful Dharma talk. And the woman just told me, she says, I will never forget that, it will never leave my memory. Because she taught me that day that work and practice are not two. And in one Buddhism, we are trained to see that, that work and practice are not two. And I witnessed this again last year in the summertime. It was at a retreat in Hawaii. We have a retreat in Hawaii. And at that time, our fourth head Dharma master, Venerable Chuasan, was there. He wasn't attending the retreat, he was just staying at the, the meditation center. And as he was there, we were attending the program, so we would sit in the Dharma hall, listen to Dharma talks, and meanwhile, he was outside, cutting trees, pulling weeds, cutting grass. And during break time, all, we're all younger, because he's over 80, we'd come downstairs to the kitchen and we're drinking this ice cold water and he'd walk in like drenched in sweat and we're all like, <laughs> and, it's, and he wouldn't say, oh, well, come out and help me. He just, just did what he had to do. That was his meditation. And it was amazing to see from day one to day 10 the differences at the meditation center. The exterior totally changed, which actually changed and improved the overall atmosphere of the retreat. And then the next day, again, similar to the old woman, he sat down with his white robe, he just gave a talk to the locals. So cleaning the exterior of the retreat center was just as important as giving this talk to the group of locals there. So what elders have shown me as I've been in this tradition is that one Buddhism is a living religion, it's a living tradition, and that when you put the teachings into practice, you are never done. They have taught me that life is a work in progress. Life is a work in progress and that the path itself is the goal. The path itself. So we say that the world is a living scripture, that every place is a training ground. And so when you see, uh, when I meet the teachers in Korea, they are just like, they look like my grandfather, they look like my grandmother. Uh, they look like the neighbor down the street. So plain in fact that you just might walk past them as they're working in the garden. So where does this motive force come from? Where does this, this uh, energy 
to bring the practice to life. Where does that energy come from? And I really feel that it comes not just from a deep spiritual vow, but for them, a great connection with a teacher. What I've noticed with not just one Buddhist teachers, but teachers in general, is that they also have a mentor, they also have a teacher. For those of you who've heard the story of our founding master of one Buddhism, Sutesan, he didn't have a formal teacher. However, after attaining awakening and reading the Diamond Sutra, he realized, ah, Shakyamuni Buddha already enlightened to what I've experienced. I will take him as my original guide. And that was very shocking to me. It was acknowledging that someone else had already awakened to what I've experienced, but also it was saying that I'm a teacher, I'm also a student. And then I started noticing this similar pattern with other teachers in one Buddhism, is that they would acknowledge the teachers before them. And so you'll never hear them saying, my teaching, it's never my teaching. They will refer to the masters before them. And becoming one with this vision doesn't mean feeling some sort of obligation or duty, but it comes from a deep place of gratitude. Gratitude for teachers who provide this clear, logical, practical, and scientific path to help us live a more meaningful and happy life. They become our spiritual parents to guide us in the right direction, to take responsibility for our well-being not just there to, to support us, but to help us transform my life. On the other hand, many of us can feel a disconnection and move further away. And what happens is that we become this orphan. And sometimes people, when they make a disconnection with teachers, what happens is that they slowly become the master, they slowly become the greatest teacher, and the person who knows everything that nobody else does. But so you may ask, well, how do you become a, one with a teacher who has already passed away? How can I become one with a teacher when there are no physical teachers around me? And that's why the teachings are so important. And I'm not just, you, you might have many, many teachings around you. Buddhism, Confucianism, Christianity, all around you. These are all jewels. And so for myself, because I've been connected with One Buddhism, the scriptures to me, when I read it, I feel the teacher's spirit in the words. Because when he was formulating the teachings, he spent many endless nights, sleepless nights, trying to express something that actually is inexpressible and trying to make it relevant. So his physical existence may not be here, but the spirit is there in the teachings. And what's most important, and I think even Master Sotesan would emphasize this, he says, don't just memorize the text. Now you test it out in your, in your life. You take, you take line by line and you apply it, and you question it, you inquire it, you don't just accept it. If you just accept it, it's, it's, it doesn't become your teaching, it's just my teaching. You test it out, you talk with your Dharma friends and your Dharma teachers, see what works, see what doesn't work. So what I've learned again is this, that spiritual leadership is not about where you stand, what you know, or what you wear, or, but it's how you make the teachings come to life.
It's about maintaining the beginner's mind by constantly training. To see that practice is not something short-term, but a lifelong journey. And a journey that should not be done alone, but in the presence of really great mentors and Dharma friends. So when Venerable Trasan, our, our, the fourth head Dharma master, was cutting trees in Hawaii, I could see his physical, for, physical form, but I could also see that it was not just Venerable Trasan cutting the trees, but it was also Sutisan, and it was also Shakyamuni Buddha and the many masters before that were, were there in that one moment. And you may hear this and think, well, isn't this worshipping a person? Is this idolatry? And I want to say that when I say this, it's not about worshipping a person. It's about bowing very deeply in great, deep gratitude. That again, that there are teachers out there, not just in one Buddhism, but in many traditions, the sages, that they're able to express the ineffable. That they're able to create a map for us to follow that's relevant in this contemporary society. Something realistic, something practical, so that we can live happier and more meaningful lives, not just for ourselves, but for the greater purpose of serving society. So my wish for myself and for all of you here today is that we continue on this spiritual path together, that we maintain the beginner's mind and that we train passionately, that we learn continuously, and that we teach compassionately, forgive unhesitantly, and live authentically. Thank you very much. <laughs>